Hi, and welcome to the SalesRx Podcast. We provide actionable insights for revenue professionals looking to find the right prescription in their sales process. So let's jump right in. And welcome to the Sales RX podcast to all my first time listeners and repeat Sales RXers, where today we're going to talk about selling with your buyers, a really awesome, innovative concept. And I have a special guest today, none other than Nate Nisralla, who is the founder of Fluent, where he helps B2B sales teams prevent losing out on deals when they are not on the in the room. He's also a two-time startup founder, as well as a three-time sales leader and he, he loves dark chocolate and the Rocky Mountains. So we're going to learn a little bit more about that as well and where he's calling in from. Other than that, though, Nate, welcome to the podcast. Happy to have you. Uh, well, thanks so much for having me, Chet. Good to be here. Yeah, we're, we're, I'm really excited. I know we've had some uh, conversation in passing, uh, both as Pavilion members in, in the community as well as offline of the community. And I'm, I'm really excited to dig in a little bit more about this concept of selling with your buyers. But before we do... I want to hear your zero to hero story. Tell me a little bit about your background as a two-time startup founder, three-time sales leader, and what's got you to this point today where you're the founder of Fluent. Yeah, well, it, it all leads up to Fluent, but kind of how it started and how I first got into sales was by way of building products. Like I, I tend to be a little bit more introverted and intellectual um, than most that I meet in the sales profession. And so that first kind of took me onto the product course. Like I, I loved figuring out how to develop products that users loved. And what I realized pretty quickly is that we had user research, sales, there's not a whole lot that's different. One just ends in a contract, but you're trying to figure out like what's frustrating, um, what's not going well in your work life, what are you trying to get done? And what do you feel you need in order to do that? And can I get that to you? And mm -hmm. so I started to realize pretty quickly that the whole science behind sales was actually pretty interesting to me. And it allowed our company to keep growing. I mean, sales is revenue and you can't keep building products and helping users if you don't have revenue um, keeping the company um, going. So that, that first company that I was building where I, I really fell in love with sales was called DonorPath. We built marketing and fundraising software for small nonprofits. And through, throughout it, the kind of the big thing that I discovered and what's very interesting about the nonprofit sector. And by the way, when I say nonprofit, don't think no profit. There's over 400 billion with a B dollars given to nonprofits <laughs> every year. So they're raising a lot. They're spending a lot on the tools and the process that helps them do that. But what was very interesting is that typically a purchase for some type of software isn't going to be made um, just by the staff of any significant size. It's going to go up to the board level. And a sales rep is never in a board meeting. Mm -hmm. And so I discovered pretty quickly that the art of keeping our deals moving forward was not me closing the deal, but teaching and enabling our buyer to go close the deal mm -hmm. and to present a really good, compelling message around not only what our product could do, but what the problem was. And that was only, I guess that lesson was only intensified when, so that um, first company was acquired inside of that new company that bought us. I went and developed uh, the first enterprise sales division, first enterprise sales team to do six, seven figure deals um, for that company. When previously it was more kind of SMB transactional sales. And along the way, I just kind of went deeper into this idea 
of a complex sale defined by a ton of different people all weighing in with different opinions on the deal mm-hmm. and conversations happening when I wasn't there. It was yeah. those internal meetings that were making and breaking our deals, not sales meetings, which you know we, we would spend tons of time coaching, training reps on how to message, how to handle objections and so on. And what we realized pretty quickly was, okay, we had to sell with our buyers if we wanted to do a good job of keeping that day, that deal in play. Mm-hmm. And so that, that came to a head in my uh, last role. I was like, man, the same type thing keeps happening. We're losing deals when we're not in the room. Like, what do we do about this? And so one day I just went with our team, started testing out some different ideas, going back to that kind of basis or that foundation and loving product development. How do we, how do we try to do something new? So, so we started using just a blank Google doc to build out internal materials with our champion, where we would write it together, use their words wow. to get a message that they would stick to and begin to use, to engage everybody else within their organization that we wanted in the deal ultimately. So after we, we did a million dollars in Google docs in three months for that company um, with this whole idea of how do you sell with buyers, get them the message that they need. Um, to bring others into the deal. And so I started talking to other teams like, hey, is this, is, is this just a weird thing that's going on for us? Or are you seeing this too? And then that kind of got me back onto that product development track of, okay, let's go build something. Um, and that's how I, I got to my current seat, which is uh, Founder Fluent. That's awesome. And I, and I love that you're totally right. A, a lot of stuff is done without the sales rep being present as much as your sale is made in discovery and lost in discovery, as they say, it's also, Mm -hmm. it's also made and lost in the conversations that are happening without you. Um, I've always been a fan of saying like, look, there are not five to eight decision makers on most processes. Usually there's one because one person's going to typically sign it, but there are five to eight champions. And Mm -hmm. those are the people that you need to get the buy-in from. And as you kind of called out, it's like the telephone game. You tell somebody something, they tell somebody something, they tell somebody something. By the time it gets to that fifth person, it's 80% incorrect. Most people forget 90% of what they hear within the first 24 hours. And so you've done a great job of documenting that action plan, documenting what's talked about and putting that um, in a Google doc. And I think that's just, that that's really smart. Um, what I'd be interested to hear is what are like some talk tracks you use in discovery to get the buy-in from those champions to do this? Because especially like, in these weird processes where mm-hmm. sometimes people really just like we get on discovery sometimes as AEs, right? I haven't been an AE for a while, but I remember it was like, look, this person is like, they're not going to have discovery conversations with me. They're not going to answer some of these fact finding questions. They're really like, well, tell me what it is you do and how you do it. And then I'll decide if there's a fit moving forward, mm-hmm. especially at an enterprise level. I feel like that happens a lot because people are trained buyers. They know what they're doing. They know what they're looking for. What, what would you do to kind of get that buy-in from them and that mm-hmm. mutual agreement that like, hey, this is going to pay dividends for you? How, yeah, how do well, you approach it? I mean, it's, it's a good question because underneath all of this is the premise that if you are doing shallow discovery, you're going to have very surface level content that doesn't take you very far by way of messaging throughout the sales process. So this is like this piece, deep discovery is the foundation for everything else that you do with your champion throughout the rest of the sales cycle. So a way that I would start it, especially in an outbound environment where you're coming to them, a phrase that I might use is something like, you know, one thing that we're seeing a lot with the clients that we're working with or the partners that we're working with is X. I'm curious to what extent that resonates with you. Are you Mm. seeing any of this inside of your organization? Mm. And what I'd like to do is focus a lot of discovery not on like listening for pain points or the standard things that you try to then immediately align with product. Usually what I'm trying to figure out is 
a good way to frame a problem that a lot of people care about. Mm-hmm. And the thing is in the enterprise, there are so many different teams with different priorities. They're all measured on different things. And so one person may see a problem that they want to solve. And yet other people, one may not think that that's very much of a priority um, or two may have a completely different view of what's actually going on or causing that problem. So the way um, I'd continue to kind of dig in and unpack um, that discovery process is really focused. It's very problem centric before product is even, even mentioned. That's the third layer in kind of the discovery process that I, or framework that I like to use. So happy to go deeper onto any part of that, um, depending on what's, what's interesting, what you want to press into. Yeah, I guess I'm interested to hear is let's say, uh, and of course we're speaking somewhat more to enterprise too, because it tends to be a pretty complicated process, but this could be, you know, applicable to any process of who you're talking to. Because again, there's always going to be someone else, probably most likely above Mm -hmm. the person you're talking to is going to make a decision. But how do you, how do you get that information on that call with that person about the other problems and priorities that people around them that are going to be affected by this? Mm-hmm. Or is that something where you're kind of relying on whatever they say, and then you have to work your magic to get those people on a future call if they're not on this call already? So it's both. You you definitely want other people in future calls as well, because mm-hmm. they're going to have a different view. And discovery isn't just like a single stage that stops in the sale. Like this is the thing that keeps going throughout the whole cycle. Mm-hmm. But some um, kind of phrases, things that I, I might want to dig into is, um, you know, I'm interested to know what are the types of topics that keep coming up or are being repeated in your team meetings or when you're at your all hands, what are some of the themes that you hear? If you're talking to marketing, the CMO, if you're talking to an engineer, the CTO, like what do they keep saying and repeating? And you're like, okay, I've had enough. I've like, I've heard this already. Mm -hmm. And usually that's a pretty good indicator to know what, not just for this one particular contact, but at a company level, what matters Um, I also try to find very early on where there might be conflicting opinions. And so I might ask something like, you know, I'm curious who might disagree with this in your Mm. company. Is there somebody who sees this differently than you're saying it right now? Yeah. Um, that's, that's a very helpful one. Um, and then the kind of the, the other piece that I like is, are there other problems that you think are more pressing than this? Mm. And it's interesting because most times if people are taking a sales call, it'll be of like, you know, some level of significance, but I'm trying to figure out like what will trump this if I'm getting ghosted down the road, let's say, and they're not responding to me. I want to try to figure out what will be top of mind for them. Cause I want to know, you know, if you were to stack rank all of their priorities, where does this fit? And then of course, back to that first question, it's the idea of like, well, is, is this the most important thing, not just for you, but for others as well? Mm, I like that. And yeah, like what, what are you hearing? What's going on in those boardrooms? What kind of conversations are you hearing? If you were to sit on a one-on-one with your CMO as the CRO, what, what mm-hmm. would they say to you about their, their initiatives right now and how they're pacing towards those goals? Um, also, as it's relevant to the things that you know, as of right now that we solve for whatever that might be, because maybe your solution isn't going to help marketing. Maybe it's mm-hmm. completely just for sales. So you got to take that into consideration, obviously too, but. That's right. And, and I'll add on like two kind of basic phrases that you can follow up a response um, with is like, what does this mean for and how will that affect or what happens if in the, in the reason is that the kind of second and third order consequences of a problem that somebody brings up can get into trying to understand how different people are framing the cause or like they're really at the root of it, the really interesting and compelling problem. Mm-hmm. So give you, I'll give you an example of this. Like, let's say you're in the marketing space 
And they're like, uh, MQLs are down, right? So marketing source pipeline um, is dropping off. And it's like, oh, well, what does this mean for, um, for example, your spend on ads? Like, are you having to spend more in order to make up the difference between more, maybe more organic lead gen? Mm-hmm. And so you can begin to tease out and figure out, okay, MQLs are down, but is it because, well, actually you're spending less because budget was pulled? Are you not creating the type of like content or community driven leads that you think you should? Mm-hmm. So there are all of these other drivers that roll up to that one problem that you need to begin to unpack. And that's the mark of good discovery is you're, you're going layer after layer after layer, deeper, deeper, deeper. Yeah. Kind of like in gap selling, Keenan talks about usually the problem they think they have is just a symptom of a core problem. That's right. Um, oh, my, my team is not performing at X clip. Well, is that really because of this, this, and this, or do you think it might be because of this? We see it all mm-hmm. the time at Pavilion. It's like our sales team isn't hitting our number or where you have employee attrition. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. all, all you're doing is paying people base salary, you know, variable comp and benefit some basic benefits. You have no professional development going on. You have no core competency training. You have no career support and mentorship. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's all, nearly 80% of a person's reason to stay at a company. Like this is why people are taking $10,000 to go be a salesperson somewhere else because you don't have those things in place. And it's very easy to rectify that, right? Those are some of the, the core common challenges that we see, but what the, the, the symptom of those problems to other people are always different, right? Whether it's attrition or, mm-hmm. um, you know, new reps within six months, not hitting quota consistently, yada, yada, yada. But yeah. I love, I love how you also establish those implications. What if, you know, what would this mean to your mm-hmm. business if this continue to happen? Uh, what would that mean for your seat? You know, you're a CMO and you're responsible yeah. for MQLs. You've been there 12 months. You say you're, you know, you're going through two quarters of a lull. If you experience two more quarters of a lull with your 18 month mark, what's that going to look like? Um, what does that look like for you? What does that look like for your team? Um, one thing I could see happening in this process as you, as you begin to move towards working together on this mutual action plan or this document together and bring in additional stakeholders is I could see where some people would not want to give information, um, which obviously if they, you know, sale is a two-way straight, there has to be mm-hmm. information given on both sides, but what are some ways that you disarm like potentially defensive prospects if they're like, oh, no, no, you just, you can just run everything through me or like, yeah, I don't really have time to fill out a document. What are some ways that you establish implications of not trying to work on this mutual action plan together? Yeah. So what you want to do is reduce friction as much as possible by blending in with the existing process that your prospects Mm. are already using. So you might ask, for example, like, um, how do you typically uh, look for feedback from your team or how do other teammates weigh in on a particular problem? project. It's like, oh, we, we start up a notion page or we start up a Google doc and then we share it around and everybody drops comments and things in there. It's like, great. Um, after that call, I would start up a Google doc, put their brand on it. And then I would begin to write out my one recap of what I do know based on the conversation and two, start to try to fill in some gaps around some assumptions. So if we go back to that MQL example, it's like, um, you know, every month we're tasked with generating a thousand MQLs. Um, and right now we are currently at X, like 800, you know, whatever the gap is, how severe is the problem? So I might start to develop and write out a problem statement with them and ask them to jump in and be like, Hey, I, I, you know, I took a running start, giving you a Google doc for your team to start developing. I'm curious where I'm, I'm hitting the mark and where I'm missing it. And what's very interesting is that when somebody sees it in like written word or written form, like they see the start of something developing and growing. 
and they want to um, one help, but two, most people can't stand to see something that's incorrect or inaccurate written out in like mm-hmm. a permanent form. They're like, no, no, our target <laughs> isn't a thousand MQLs. It's only 500. It's like, oh, okay, got it. Well, um, well, how many did you actually deliver? 500 is the goal. Oh, 300. Oh, okay. Well, that's actually a more severe gap than I was thinking. Yeah. And then you can, you can build some momentum um, and keep rolling. But again, the key is to make this fit and blend in with their buying process, as opposed to trying to say, can I get you to jump through my sales process? Mm. And then you're also, so you're essentially saying, educate them on, you're somewhat educating them on your best practice for how to evaluate your product, but you're doing that by asking them to educate you on how they typically like to implement products or talk Mm -hmm. about solving problems within their organization, things of that nature. Is that correct? Exactly. So you are guiding and helping them craft the message, the internal narrative that's going to be compelling for everybody else to weigh in on. Mm. But you want to do that in material that's native to them, that fits and feels familiar. So as a sales leader, and you can probably attest to this, one one of the toughest things when you're making a change at an organization is getting not only buying and adoption from your reps, but also getting quality execution Mm-hmm. There's a lot to unpack here that I think is extremely valuable. And I would venture to say that 99% of sales teams aren't taking their discovery to this level. Probably why a lot of people aren't closing a ton of enterprise deals or even like mm-hmm. preventing being ghosted uh, in, in most scenarios. Like what's the number one topic you hear people talk about in the, in the AE world is, oh, I keep getting ghosted. I send a proposal and then nothing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because you're not selling with your buyer. You're not creating that buy-in. So my question is, this is directed towards sales leaders or even SDR managers who might want to implement some form of this at a high level, just in terms of qualification questions for their SDRs mm-hmm. and their enterprise BDRs and SDRs to ask, what is the best way to get started, but not overload people with information? Would you say start on the talk tracks first? Would you say start a little bit on the process or at least even just changing some of the ways we talk about discovery and, and follow that process? What's the what's the most low friction way for a sales leader to at least get started on 10% of this as they look to make a similar change? Yeah, the best place to start is the written word, whether it's an SDR recapping something that they heard in a short qualification call and sharing that with the buyer and saying, hey, I'm playing back what I believe I heard and what matters most to you. I just want to make sure that we're on the same page going into this next call. So it's productive for you. So being able to translate a buyer's input into written format, or if you are thinking about your AEs going through the rest of the sales cycle, most times we're just focused on product content and thinking about how do we get and push across and follow up info on features, demo recaps, so on. But it's in my opinion, 25% in my experience, 25% of the overall written content that you need to be creating to move a deal forward. There's the problem, there's the approach, then there's the product, and then there's the actual payoff or the results. So one piece of that, 25% of those four components in the content that you're creating is product. And that's where over 80, 90% of what I see sellers pushing across to their buyers is focused. And so there's a mismatch between what buyers need and what you're actually providing and how do you close the gap? You need to create and be writing this with your buyer. Oh, I love that. That's that's really good. And that is key, right? Here's our one pager. Here's our canned demo for you mm-hmm. to see ahead of time. No, no, nothing like not even a valuable case study about like, hey, this is somebody extremely similar to where, you, where you're from. Um, when we talk to SMB companies at Pavilion and we talk about corporate group memberships, 
we always talk about the company we work with that did a case study with us in Capture. Um, and we talk about in Capture's case study because there's two sides of Pavilion. We either are typically like a supplement mm-hmm. on the on the corporate group membership side to big companies, um, learning and development like Bloomberg and WeWork, or we're like almost outsourced sales enablement where we're doing all the core competency training, mm-hmm. all the professional development for companies like in Capture who are who are aren't as big as those those companies but still want to dedicate that time to their reps. But I see people that are just like, oh, but here's what Pavilion is. Here's the products, and it's like. Oh no, we're missing the mark here. Let's talk about what they're specifically thinking about in terms of their day-to-day, what's important to them, what's important to their persona. Let's personalize mm-hmm. it, not personalize it, you know? Yeah, that's right. And you you were touching on one element of the content that I was talking about that a lot of people skip past. They're like, okay, problem, Nate, I got it. Problem makes sense. Then I can go into product, right? And what you were talking about is the approach. And this is yeah. what people most often skip past. And so a a discovery question that can help you unpack this is, what do you believe needs to be true for a solution to work in your case? So you're talking agnostic of product, agnostic of provider. Mm -hmm. What do they believe needs to be true for it to work in their case? And that's where they can begin to say, so for example, in the case of Pavilion, well, we need some international perspective. Like we do business all around the world. And so different teams need different perspectives across different cultures. Or maybe it's, we need, um, we need more creative thinking from different industries. So if you've only done training for, call it um, B2B SaaS, we want to understand people who are selling consumer and services and so on. Mm-hmm. And you can say, great, well, Pavilion, you know, it sets up the product very nicely, but people aren't going to take a talk track around benefits or features if it doesn't align with the logic that they've already built in their mind of this is what I need. And so they are now looking with a specific filter to try to figure out, does what you're sharing with me get through this filter of the approach that I've already put in place? So if you're not understanding that and digging into it, or even shaping or challenging that during discovery, it's going to be very difficult to move to that third piece product. Yeah. I, I love that you you touched on how a lot of people forget that part of it. Yeah. Problem all day long. We know the problems, right? Because mm-hmm. our, our pillars of value, our value pillars, our value props, whatever you want to call it, those are the benefits of the problems that we solve, right? And of course, we already touched on product, but that approach, and, and you hit on it completely correct, right? If I see a stranger walking down the street in a trench coat with a hat over their head, really bulky, I'm like, oh man, I don't, I, what's this guy got? Has he got a Tommy gun under there? Like, what is this, the 1920s? But if I see someone incredibly presentable that's showing their face, has a smile on their face and says hello to me, I'm, I'm not afraid, right? There's no stranger danger. I'm like, oh, that's just another person in my neighborhood. Same situation. What's your approach like, right? Are you, as you said, are you selling with your buyer? Are you partnering with them? Are you trying to understand their frame of reference, walk in their shoes, use that empathy? Or are you like, hey, this is my sales process. This is how I do things. These are my questions. Yeah, <laughs> it's, that's right. Answer my questions so I know how to sell you the product. <laughs> and like back to that, you know, uh, MQL example one more time. It's like, oh, MQLs are down. Great. We help with MQLs. And you're jumping right into the product. But if somebody is saying, well, we can't spend anymore. So it doesn't matter if you have this fancy campaign manager um, for pay-per-click or whatever. We just want organic content focused or community-led leads. It's like, well, anything that I tell you about our our campaign management software is just going to fall on deaf ears. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, what, What I'd be interested to hear from you about is when we... When we dive a little bit deeper into the sales process, um, I would love to hear some of your thoughts around other things outside of this Google Doc you can do to get more buy-in 
specifically when it comes time for proposal mm-hmm. and you have people that were never in the room, even that won't look at the document, is there power to video there? Is there power to sharing the slides and narrating them in a five minute video or narrating even the contract on a, on a shared screen? Like what are some things better than just firing off that proposal that can help you get that buy-in and ensure that even if all this great work I did on this Google doc goes unnoticed by the additional decision maker champions, who are going to send this decision maker. What can we do there to solve for that post that document? What other things can we do further down the funnel to help continue this process or methodology of selling with our buyer. Yeah. So I'll talk about um, two practices. First, what you, you just talked about it, video. What I see a lot of teams doing is having the rep record the entirety of the video. And if the idea is that, let's say we need the CMO or the VP, SVP marketing to weigh in, mm-hmm. then they, one, they weren't in the meeting um, upfront. Two, they don't know who I am as the sales rep. They've never heard from me before. And so what I am having to do is develop a level of trust rapport as well as then have them retain and absorb the information of the message that I'm giving them mm-hmm. all in the same video. Yeah. And that's a very tall ask. So what I prefer to do is actually have the champion in the video recording it with me. And wow. so they are sharing and I'm asking them questions to help them to set up their perspective on the message. Because then I still get to play the role of guiding and thinking about what do I need you as the CMO to hear? But it's coming from already a trusted voice. And so I don't have to do the whole job of rapport building, trust building in a video when I've never met you before. Mm. So if you are not recording videos with your champions and it's only you, I would say that's a place to start. Um, And by the way, if a champion isn't willing to do that, that's a big signal and a red flag as well that maybe there's some other things that you need to dig into. Yes. So that's number one. Think about co-creating or collaborating on what you're sharing. The second discipline or the second practice is the forwardable email. And a lot of people, when they're writing or sharing materials and follow-up, they're writing to the person that is receiving it, as opposed to the person that they want to ultimately be reading it and get this as a result of, call it the director forwarding it to the VP or to the CMO. And for you to get pushed up to that level, you need to sound like you were talking at that level. And so you need to open up in kind of a basic framework is open up with a large company-wide initiative. You know, let's say it's um, reducing CAC before the Series B fundraise or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Then you need to use some type of uh, language or trigger phrase that the CMO themselves use. So back to that early on, we were talking about like, hey, what do you hear repeated at these all hand meeting um, or internal meetings? What's what's flying around most commonly? Use that exact language. Make sure that it's present there, and then um, show some type of exciting, promising future. You know, like. I can almost see it now, like Sequoia leads $100 million record-breaking round on the back of organic growth, something like that. Mm-hmm. But then say, hey, issue is, and this is where you introduce the tension, issue is MQLs are way down and your team doesn't have the capacity to produce the type of content that you need to make this happen. And then here's the very last piece of the affordable email. This is where your call to action is coming in. You know, I imagine that let's say Mary is the CMO. I imagine Mary might have some opinions or thoughts on the plan that we've developed. Think she would be open to weighing in on this. Mm. And so you're saying, I understand your goal. Um, It's very exciting. However, there's a threat to it. We've started developing a plan. Can you weigh in on it? And that's something that is going to get forwarded on and say, hey, Mary, um, we're going to be meeting next Friday. Thought you might want to weigh in. Like, here's some background context. Look at what Chet shared with us. Wow. 
I love that. That's awesome. Um, I know we're coming up on time here, but this has been really informative. I think a lot of good stuff for SDRs to take out of this too, as well. Um, when collaborating with their buyers or their points of contact, um, definitely for the account executives doing deals, you know, Oh, I'm getting ghosted. Like that's so common. It's so common to get ghosted. Um, which sucks because you at least want that little bit of closure. Like, what did I do wrong? Uh, you're never going to get it. But if you set, I feel like even if you set yourself up for success too, even if you don't win the deal, Nate, mm-hmm. you're still doing all this work and they feel compelled to say, Hey, like we just couldn't get it done. It's just 10 times better than just never hearing back and becoming a pest with follow-up and then banging your head against the wall and then going and working somewhere else in six months <laughs> well start from scratch. Um, this is, this is great. You're an expert in this. I want to make sure people know how to get connected with you. Anybody listening that either wants to, you know, work alongside you or get feedback or even access some resources you might have, plug your resources, plug yourself. Where can people connect with you? How can they find you? How can they partner up with you? Yeah. So best place to connect with me is on LinkedIn, Nate Nasralla on LinkedIn. And if you want to go deeper on some of the um, different practices that we talk through, best place is to go to Fluent's blog. So Fluent with an I, F-L-U-I-N-T io slash blog. And right on the headline is the enterprise sales playbook covers all the way from discovery down through a close process. And you can, you can go into a lot more depth on everything that we talked through. And I think that's the one you shared in, in, in the pavilion network too, that I was you got it. originally in our first conversation. So I can tell you it's a, it's a very informative playbook and it has some really great tactical knowledge, um, some great frameworks as well. So um, for those of you interested as well in engaging with the sales RX community further, you can stop by our LinkedIn page, listen to a podcast, connect with me directly on LinkedIn and access all the resources available to you, as well as VIP invites to join Pavilion and access for SDRs looking to join uh, our SDR to AE program and get promoted to their AE role within 12 months. Um, other than that, we'll see everybody on the next one. Thanks, Nate, for taking the time. Really appreciate it, man. Thanks again for having me. All right. See ya.